and welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, listed in 2020 as number eight of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional. I am your host, Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert and author of Business Evolution, Creating Growth in a Rapidly Changing World. I created Scale Your Sales Framework to develop leading edge capabilities to secure, retain and grow key customer relationships for long-term value and partnership. Join me each week to learn from amazing B2B sales and business experts and influencers. Tune in for actionable insights and strategies. Are you ready to scale your sales? My next guest is David Newman Scott, author of 12 books, including New Rules of Marketing and PR and the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Fanocracy. David is a marketing and business growth strategist, an entrepreneur, and the advisor to emerging companies. Please welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, David Meerman Scott, someone I've been trying to get on for quite a while because I've been following him for years. He's going to know how much of a fandom I am in a moment. Oh my gosh, what a fabulous introduction. Thank you, Janice. Um, here I am, and, and I'm so happy. I'm so happy to be together with you today. Even if it's in the virtual world, we'll have, you know, that will have to do for now. Well, you know, this virtual world, um, I think we're doing a good job of making the best of it. But boy, am I ready for in-person. I've actually gone to some music con- uh, concerts recently. I'm a huge fan of the Grateful Dead. I have a Grateful Dead logo over my shoulder here. And I went to two Grateful Dead concerts this month. Very excited about that. Live music is coming back. Hopefully, in-person speaking um, uh, events will also come back soon. Well, I did my first in-person speaking uh, keynote two weeks ago. Good and... for you. You're way ahead of me. I have yet to do one. <laughs> to be honest, I was a little bit nervous at first, but the environment... Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Really? I'm with people? What's that about? (laughs) (laughs) That's an audience. That's not a camera. Look at that. (laughs) Do you know what, David? I had forgotten how much, even if I know my material, but how much time goes into the practice, the stagecraft, all the things that you can do less of online because, you know, I've got two screens. It's all accessible to me. And I'd forgotten. I thought, blimey, I need to put up my prices. Yeah, it's really, it's really, really different. And um, um, my latest book, uh, you mentioned Fanocracy, but I did a real quickie book. I'll show it to you. It's called Standout Virtual Events. And it's all about um, virtual speaking. And it's really different because what we're doing, and this is really important for salespeople, yeah. by the way, and sales leaders to understand, but what we're doing right now is we're talking through a cinematic experience, yeah. video, television. This is like the cinema, and you have to play it like it's the cinema. You're speaking inside of a box. Mm. And when you get onto that, and I can't wait for when I get back onto a stage, but when you're onto a stage, it's a theatrical experience and you have to be bigger and bolder and, and um, they're very, very different things. And what's interesting to me from the selling perspective, and you would get this because you're also a speaker, is that when we're selling virtually, 
it's a different thing mm -hmm. than when we're selling face to face. And I think a lot of salespeople and a lot of um, sales management kind of forget that. And if, they, if they're good at in-person selling, oh, I just do it on video, I'll be fine. No, you won't. Those are two different things. Um, it's like an actor who's really good on a stage in the West End is not as good sometimes when they're on video, um, uh, television or movies. You have to have those two different skills. So let's get into that. What what would be the differences that um, sales leaders need to be wary of and sales people? You know, because I'm sure you've seen, oh, gosh, that's, you know, people on camera think that they can just transfer it and do the same thing. And they're doing all this with their arms and they're moving around and you're feeling <laughs> so what are the key things would you say? Well, I think some obvious things that a lot of people get wrong is they have to play to the camera, to the lens, right there. And what a lot of people do is they set up their Zoom such that they're doing what I'm doing right now. I'm looking at you right now, Jess, on, on my screen in front yeah. of me. And my eyes are going down. Yeah. And it's really disconcerting for humans emotionally when someone doesn't look at us. So now I'm back up looking at the camera. So you really have to get used to the idea of presenting to the lens as opposed to presenting to the person you're talking to. And it's hard. It takes practice. It takes skills. Now, there's some things you can do um, to help you with that. I mean, I'll give you a, just a little example here. I'm now I have another camera, I have several different cameras here in my studio. I'm now looking at a different camera. Mm -hmm. I'm still looking at the audience, but I'm looking at a different camera. And what I have is I have my slides here on, on the right, mm -hmm. but I've also got my slides in a teleprompter okay. here. And now if I change the slides, I'm, I'm comfortable that that's my standout virtual events. Here's a couple of other books and I can hear some music going on. So um, what I'm doing here is I'm recognizing that you have to speak to a camera as opposed to speaking to you in the, in the screen. So you can actually build um, a virtual, I mean, this is a full-blown studio. I'll show you what it looks like, um, full-blown studio. Oh, wow. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I've got, yeah. four, cam got four cameras. I've got um, lights. I mean, it's um, super fun. Um, but what, and I'm able to control it with my left hand. It's, by the way, just an aside, I'm a huge fan of live music, as I mentioned earlier. And I sometimes wonder how can someone play the guitar and sing at the same time? It just seems like two utterly different things. And I've learned a little bit by running this studio now for about six months. I'm talking to the camera, but then I sometimes will change my camera and talk somewhere else. So I've learned how to control my cameras and control my slides with my clicker at the same time I'm speaking. So I kind of get this idea of playing music and um, both playing a guitar and singing at the same time. Anyway, that's a real weird kind of thing. It just entered my right, mind. Right brain, um, left brain. You know? <laughs> so, right, exactly, exactly right. Yeah, right. Um, so back to what salespeople can do well. Yes, you do need to talk 
to the camera because that's how you're talking to the person on the other side. And um, there are various tools that you can use. I just shared with you my teleprompter. You can actually build a teleprompter. Um, there's some great solutions. Go to wherever you go for technology, Amazon or somewhere else. And you can buy a teleprompter to put in front of a camera so that you're showing the person you're talking to and you're literally talking directly to them because that's what you see in the teleprompter. There's also some other solutions um, that are um, ways to hang your, um, uh, if you don't have a full-blown camera set up in studio, uh, where you can hang um, your webcam so that it falls down onto the screen. And so behind the webcam, you're seeing the person you're talking to. And that provides the same idea that you can have what seems like a more natural conversation with somebody. Super, super, super important stuff uh, to get right. And a lot of salespeople don't get that right. It's interesting because um, one, the audience here, you've just had a masterclass from a master. So I just want to recognize uh, that. But it's also interesting that salespeople need to take on new skills, but it's the skill of mastering the technology. Now, they're used to phones and, you know, they may be used to a clip, but it's actually the fact that you have to practice and rehearse the to be adaptable enough as to know which buttons and what takes a lot. It's a lot to get to the, you know, the stage that, that you're at. It, it, it's a lot, but it's so worth it because if you think about um, the job of being a salesperson, and I've been there, I was a salesperson. I mean, I mean, we're all salespeople all the time, right? But I was a professional salesperson with quota for a number of years, and we had to learn skills. And I remember distinctly how we learned um, how to conduct face-to-face meetings you know how do you sit in a conference room Um, and how do you then begin a conversation and and all of these things were were skills that we had to learn Um, and I think a lot of salespeople you know especially if you took some of the traditional selling skills courses would learn those things or you learned um, because your um, your boss your your supervisor shared those things with you but not very many people are learning the same same things virtually and what's interesting to me is that this kind of selling virtual selling it can actually be more intimate than a face-to-face environment so um, in my book, Fanocracy, which I wrote with my daughter, Reiko, we looked at the neuroscience of how and why somebody becomes a fan of something. The neuroscience, and it's super interesting. There's one aspect of neuroscience that's really interesting for salespeople to understand. Um, and there's actually actually two different parts of neuroscience. And so let me walk you through this. The first idea is the idea of proximity. So the idea of proximity was originally talked about by a neuroscientist whose name is Edward T. Hall, and he identified that the closer you get to another human, the more powerful the shared emotions. The closer you get to another human, the more powerful the shared emotions. And um, that originally goes back, you know, tens of thousands of years to proto-humans because when you were um, with your tribe of people 
and you were close to them, you felt safe and secure and comfortable. But when you were far away from your tribe and you encountered another group of people who were not your tribe, you felt vulnerable. And that's still true today. You get into a crowded lift um, and you're not with people you know, you can feel nervous. You walk into a party and you know those people, you can feel super comfortable. So uh, an aspect of this for in-person selling is, can you get closer proximity? Can you meet someone in their office, take them to lunch, whatever that might be? Now, we're in a pandemic, so that can be tough, but can you get some of that done? And Edward Teal actually identified levels of proximity. Firstly is um, public space further than about 12 feet. Uh, we don't track people. We know they're there in our public space. We don't necessarily track them. 12 feet to four feet is called social space. We begin to track people. We know where they are because we need to make sure that we're safe and comfortable. And if there's any danger that we're prepared inside of four feet called personal space where the most powerful human connections happen. But here's something super interesting for virtual selling. It turns out that another form of neuroscience called mirror neurons um, describes the idea of what we're doing right now virtually really interestingly. I'm going to demonstrate how mirror neurons work. I've got a lemon and a slice of lemon. And so mirror neurons are the part of our brains that fire when we see somebody doing something as if we're doing it ourselves. Now, if I take a bite of the lemon, Wow, it's, it's super powerful. My mouth puckers up. I can feel it on my tongue. My eyes actually involuntary close and I can feel a little bit of moisture in my eyes. I mean, powerful to bite into a lemon. Janice, are you feeling the lemon? My mouth is watering. Isn't that crazy? So that's how mirror neurons work. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is what we're doing right now is we're firing our mirror neurons because we're, the, the audience is seeing you, they're seeing me. If you're watching this on video, if you're only listening on an uh, audio podcast, you can also imagine that lemon. But if we're now cropping the camera such that we're about four feet away, and I'm probably about six feet away based on what the camera is seeing, Janice, you're about three and a half, four feet away from your camera is what the audience is perceiving. The mirror neurons tell the audience. So if you're a salesperson, the mirror neurons are telling your sales prospect that you're actually in the same room as them, even though they know intellectually that you're not. Therefore, there's incredible intimacy with virtual selling. And, and it's the exact same reason why we feel we know a movie star or a television star. I mean, You've never met Sean Connery or whoever the actor is or actress is, yet your mirror neurons tell you you have because you've seen them in this intimate way on camera. Super, super interesting stuff for virtual. Wow, yes, that is super interesting. And, it, and do you know, a lot of what you say absolutely makes sense. I'm going to tell you how you've influenced me recently. Shall I? Please. I mean, <laughs> I'm all ears. It's super interesting. <laughs> So um, I was uh, reading your book, New Rules of Sales and Service, and I um, have a very, couple of websites and gated content on them. Mm. And I was thinking, why didn't David tell me this before? You know, now, mm -hmm. I've, so I've got about 12 eBooks. 
and I'm yes. they're all gated. So now, because it absolutely makes sense to me, I'm going to ungate them, and I'm thinking about what is the uh, the next level offer. Um, it's just brilliant. So can you explain to the audience what I'm talking about? Because sure. I really want to encourage them to to read. I mean, you've written twelve books. We need to read all of the books, and you've talked <laughs> about. Um, you know, at the fans and the proximity, which is mind blowing. I, you've already blown my mind, but perhaps tell us um, about this aspect of uh, sales and service that you talk about. Oh, absolutely. And, and I find this to be really fascinating. So um, the idea here is that giving gifts with no expectation of anything in return is a fundamental human quality. So when somebody gives us a gift, a true gift that has value that we and they don't expect something in return, that makes us humans feel great. However, giving something away in in requiring something in return is actually coercion and we humans don't like being coerced into something. And so what so many B2B companies do is, and it's typically coming in initially from the marketing team with direct pressure from the sales team, is the salespeople say, we need sales leads, we need sales leads. So then the marketers create an offer of an ebook or a white paper or, or a, some kind of demonstration or something, a video, whatever it might be. And the offer, they make it sound so wonderful and it's free, but it's not free. And the reason it's not free is because you're required to fill in a form that includes at least your email address, if not more information than that. So this is a coercion technique. It says, I've got something of value. It's a white paper, but you can't have it. You can't have it unless you give me something first. That's like walking into the pub and saying, oh, I'd really like to get to know you, but I'm not going to until you give me your business card first. Yeah. And, and that's what companies are doing. It's way better to just give it away. Hey, here's the white paper. No obligation. You don't have to fill out any forms. Just download it. And then when people enjoy what they read, you have a secondary offer within that white paper or ebook, whatever it is. Um, and the secondary offer is to learn more. And that's where you register. That's where you register the interest. So that's like going into a pub and saying, gosh, I'd love to get to know you better. Hey, would you want to share a drink with me? Right. And then you say, you know what? Let's meet up again next week. May I have your phone number? Well, sure, because you've had a great conversation, but I'm not going to give you my phone number on the first second that I meet you. Thank you very much. Ain't going to happen. I'm married, though. I'm not going to give you my phone number anymore. <laughs> Oh, darn. <laughs> you know, in the sales in, in environment, I mean, I talk about, you know, you've got to give, give, give value and then ask yes. permission. And so in my head, that's what I, I believe in and I talk about. But actually, my marketing doesn't match up to those values. And that's why I absolutely get this. It's just the wrong way to approach what, what um, you're you know, we're doing. And it's funny. But, but on the other doing? hand, on the other hand, don't beat yourself up too much because look at what you're doing right now. You're creating this wonderful podcast, um, these videos that you're putting out. You're making them free. 
and you're providing incredible value. So it's, I think it's okay to maybe have a few things that are gated just as an experiment. Um, but, but so many companies don't have anything of value that's, that's freely available. They don't have a podcast. They don't have a blog. They don't have any kind of contents all about coercion. Um, and, and so don't beat yourself up too much, Jens. <laughs> but I, what, I, what I love that you said in, in the book was that you can have, you did the numbers, you can have, um, say, a thousand people that download your book and reshare your content um, because it's free. Or you yes. could have 100 people that you have on your email list. And those 100 people aren't necessarily your customers anyway. You know, right. they feel coerced. It's not a great way to start a relationship, is it? When they feel yeah. coerced and they then are going to be judging the content differently. And that's the thing that I, I really um, got and how that relates to how we want to start relationships with our clients, with our prospective customers in the sales world. And it really should be open and transparent and very giving and, and you know, offering a service before you ask permission. And I don't know, you know, what you think to that. Oh, I think that's absolutely right. I think that's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, when I was um, working for companies 20 years ago and longer, um, and it was prior to the, um, to the social media and, and, and many ways that we deliver content today. So granted, for the most part, we didn't have many of the tools. You know, nobody was doing videos like we're doing now or creating podcasts. But, but that, then again, the way we marketed was totally around this idea of coercion and offering white papers in exchange for um, somebody to fill out a form and all that. That's the way it worked. That's the way we did it. But in the last 20 years, I've been totally on my own and I make um, the majority of my revenue doing paid speaking engagements. And I don't do traditional consulting, but I do some advisory work with, with clients for equity positions. And I have never once ever in 20 years, done a sales call. It's all the, all my business has come to me. People will send me an email and say, David, I like what you're doing. I want to um, consider hire, hiring you to speak at my event. What are your fees? Or, um, geez, David, you, you were referred to me by someone who had you speak at their event, and I'd like to have you speak at my event. Or, um, hey, I, I, I'm just starting a new startup. I'm looking for an advisory board. Would you help me out? And Every, you know, I have never, ever made a sales call. And the companies that I've seen do this well are the same way. Business comes to them because they're giving, 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 giving. And then that shows that, hey, this is an organization or a person or a business that's worth checking out. People check them out and said, I'd like to do that, too. So I'm going to reach out to them and express interest. Yeah. And this is, I think, the one of the fundamental changes in sales that and I think you said, you know, um, the sales cycle is now the buying cycle. Yes. You know, we're buying to stop selling. So talk to us about that. Um, I think it's very, very clear to anybody and certainly to everybody who's who's paying attention to this discussion that you already know this, that buyers are in charge. You know, it used to be 20 years ago, sellers were in charge. Why? 
because it was really difficult to find information about products and services. If you had a company selling a piece of software, let's say you worked at, I don't know, IBM or a company like that, you had to engage with the IBM salesperson to understand how that software worked. However, today, buyers are in charge because that information is all freely available on the web, on blogs, on um, social media, uh, through all kinds of different ways you can learn about products or services. I, I mentioned earlier my, my home studio, and I built out this home studio about six months ago, and everything that I've used, my four cameras, the lights, the microphone, everything, I did the research myself before I made the choice of what kind of product to buy. And you couldn't do that 20 years ago. You had to walk into a store and have a salesperson talk to you about the different types of cameras and so on. You couldn't just say, oh, I'm going to do a, uh, I spent about $25,000 on my studio. I'm going to spend $25,000 on a television studio and I'm going to do it all online. You couldn't do that 20 years ago. So we're now in a buying process and sellers are not the most important aspect of that process. So we need to understand that. We need to help facilitate the sale, of course. We need to be the, the champion for the buyer within the company, of course, but we're not the all-knowing font of information the way we used to be. So then how do you link service with the sale? What do you mean by that? Well, you know, your book is called, you know, sales, you know, you've, you've got the two linked together and often they're yes. separate departments, but you've actually yeah. put that one is kind of linked to the other in, in, in your book. And I got why you. That's so, so important now. Yeah, you're right. Um, so what I've noticed so often, and we all notice this with the companies we do business with, you have one group of people take care of sales another group of people takes care of the ongoing customer support and what frequently happens is once the sale is made you know the business gets thrown over the shoulder of the salesperson and then the customer support person catches it and then they're in charge and many times there's a huge disconnect when that process happens and so I believe that organizations need to figure out how they can build a relationship with their potential clients such that that relationship is maintained when they become an actual paying client. And there's many ways to do that. I'm not saying that there's only one way to do it. It doesn't even have to be the same person that does both sides. Uh, but there does need to be some of that consistency such that a person feels just as well loved when they're paying money as they were loved when the company was trying to get them to pay the money. And I wonder if one, if you're a prospective buyer, that you're looking at how you're treated and that's an indication of how you will be treated when you actually become a customer. So if you're dropping the ball and there's some disconnecting communication, even if they haven't actually spoken to anyone, but actually the site, the website, the social, everything's linking up. 
I wonder how much that influences them to think this is going to be an indication of the service going forward. Yes. I mean, clearly that's part of it, um, that if you're not getting great service as a, as a, in, a, in the sales process, highly unlikely that you will during um, the process of when you're actually a paying customer. But I actually recommend, and I do this myself sometimes, I recommend to companies that are going through a sales process for a product to test out that company's sale um, customer support responsiveness. And it can be really easy. So imagine you're thinking about buying a particular piece of software, um, maybe, I don't know, some sales automation software, just as to give an example of a category of, of, of software. And you've got three or four companies that you're engaged with the salesperson. So yes, you should get a sense of how is the salesperson treating me? Are they responsive? If I send an email, how soon do they get back to me? But you can also test their customer service responsiveness. Um, you know, here in this country, it's an 800 toll-free number, but you call the number on the, on the company's website for customer support. What happens? Does someone answer on the first ring and says, how can I help you? Oh, that's great. Or is there, a, is there some kind of inane recording that says, oh my gosh, due to high call volumes, it's going to be 20 minutes before we can answer your phone call. Please hold. Well, that tells me a lot. If one company answers on the first ring, the other company puts me on hold for 20 minutes before somebody even gets on the line. So these things are absolutely able to be tested before you end up, before a customer ends up buying your product or service. I, um, it made me think of uh, the banks are still have that answer phone saying you're important yeah. to us. And, then, uh, and also, if, the new in, if I'm in, if I'm important to you, answer, answer the, the phone, phone right? <laughs> or the excuse due to COVID. Now, uh, what, 15 months later, how yeah, can right. you still be using that as an excuse? That's simply telling me that you're, you know, you're not very good at running your own business. <laughs> I'm well, and, and I know many companies that I work with, I'll give you an example, HubSpot, yeah. I'm happy to be on the advisory board of HubSpot, but um, I'm also a customer of HubSpot. And I remember very early in COVID, you know, it was probably April, very early in COVID, I had a, a problem I needed to be solved. And I called the, the 800 number, and there was nobody at the HubSpot office. But it rang and on the second or third ring, it was picked up and, oh, hello, HubSpot support. How can I help you? I an they answered my question and I said, well, where are you? Oh, I'm at home. They had already figured out mm -hmm. how to route calls to people's homes yeah. so that when somebody called the central support number, that it was still being answered on the second or third ring, even though people were at their private homes. Mm -hmm. um, so it's totally possible to do that. So yeah. using it as an excuse should tell you a whole lot about that company. Absolutely. Absolutely. In your book, Sales and Service, you were talking an awful lot about buyer persona and yes. how critical this is. So I really wanted to pick this up um, with you because I think companies need to go back and revisit this because pre-pandemic your buyer personas have all changed and I, yes. I would really like you to speak to this well what i've noticed i'm sure everybody on the call notices this as well most companies focus on products and services 
If you talk to the salesperson, they want to talk to you about products and services. If you go to the website, it's organized around products and services. Yet most buyers are not looking for a product or service. They're looking for a solution to a problem that they have. Um, and again, going back to my example of the studio I'm in right now, um, I didn't initially go shopping for, you know, four cameras and a certain type of microphone. I went shopping to outfit uh, a studio to solve the problem that all of my in-person speaking gigs were canceled. And now I needed to create a way to do virtual speaking gigs in a professional way. So as a buyer persona, the way I looked at it is I'm a buyer with a very particular need. I'm a particular buyer persona for the manufacturers of video cameras and teleprompters and microphones and lights and all the other gear I bought. And I was the buyer persona of a professional speaker who needed a virtual studio, which is utterly different from the buyer persona of a filmmaker or the buyer persona of a YouTuber or the other people who buy products and services like the, the kinds that I bought. So the best sales and marketing organizations are those that understand that there's many different buyers of their products and services. And the more they understand about the personas and who are the different people that they're trying to reach, the more effective they're going to be, both from the marketing side and the sales side. And the difference is I see marketing and sales is marketing is about creating content of all kinds to reach many buyers at once, where sales is about creating content to reach one buyer at a time. That's brilliant. I mean, I, I'm going to put all of your your book links that we've 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 mentioned: sales and service, marketing and PR, fanocracy, which is the next one I've I've got to um, read. And and I thank you, David, for sharing so much of your insight and and, and knowledge. And I've been following you for absolutely years, so I really, oh, thank really you. Uh, appreciate it. I love your stories in in your books. I feel like I know you, not just because we're in you know proximity together. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate it. To thank you. I really. This has been a, a great conversation. You're a wonderful inter interviewer, and I'm so glad you reached out. Um, great, well, great fun. I might tap you again next year. Then <laughs> you got it. I'll be there. <laughs> So how can listeners get hold of you, David? Uh, easily findable because I'm the only person in the entire planet who has the three names, David Meerman Scott. So you can Google me or do go to davidmeermanscott.com. On most of the social networks, I am DM Scott, D-M-S-C-O-T-T. Um, for information on the neuroscience of fandom, uh, you can go to fanocracy.com. Excellent. Thank you so much for being a guest on Scale Yourselves podcast. My pleasure. Thanks. Um, thanks very much for having me on. All right. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Scale Your Sales. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter, Janice B. Gordon, to comment and share. I'd love it if you would leave a review on ratethispodcast.com slash scale your sales. Please subscribe for more weekly expert insights to scale your sales.